currently uh, it is 61 degrees Fahrenheit because we use the true freedom height, the true uh, temperature measurement. I don't know how to say that in a more intelligent way. Um, and the rest of the world's gonna see that as ironic. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it is 9:45 p.m. Uh, you know, I think we should not say the date anymore. Yeah, it's unnecessary to say the date. A little bit more mysterious, and then when we release an episode Ooh. three weeks later, we, <laughs> we it seems more <laughs> topical. Uh, yeah, so it is. A, yeah, I don't know. It's sixty-one. That that's pretty amazing weather yeah. right now. Today was pretty pretty good day weather-wise. <sighs> I really wished I had taken my motorcycle to work today. You should have. I should have. That thing scared me in the garage when I walked in there. I was like, "What? What? It's is finally different. Protected from the weather. <laughs> yeah, it's been sitting out in the snow for months." I arguably moved it when it was least important to move it. <laughs> Though summer is more hard on it than winter is because of the sun on the seat. Oh, yeah, I could so. see that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I know like literally zero things about motorcycles. So, Okay, so we have some follow-up. Uh, kind of uh, a couple weeks ago. Kind of. We discussed I mean, the Galaxy Fold <laughs> and our thoughts on uh, Samsung's folding phone. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel so uh, bad for them. Yeah. Why don't we have? Why don't you go over what's been going on with Samsung lately? So I think the most, um, I think most people have probably heard that they've been having review units breaking left and right. Um, last I saw, there's four main tech reviewers who broke or had their Galaxy Fold break. Like MKBHD, Marcus Brownlee, he uh, he lit- he was one of the ones where he broke his unit. Um, because of user error, which you could argue that it was just design flaw. That they should have realized, you know, if it looks like a screen protector, people are going to try to peel it off and break the screen. So, yeah, yeah, people have been peeling off a part of the screen and breaking it. And the screen itself, like dust has been getting under it and breaking it. But there was another reviewer, uh, something stern. Uh, it's a lady. No, it's not Howard Stern. It's not, <laughs> I don't even know who that is. Who is that? Howard Stern. Is he like a political talk show host or something? He's not political, I don't think. He's a talk show host on XM Radio now who's a little bit iffy in the ranch section. Oh, um, Katie, oh that is guy. Is it Katie Stern? It's uh, one of one of the, the, the Sterns. Galaxy Fold. Hold on, let me let me see what this lady's name is. Was she giving it a, a talking to? Is that why it broke? Because she was being a little no stern with it. <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> horrible. Um, it got. Du- I know Joanna Stern. Joanna Stern. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So she had one as well. She did not peel hers off, but after the few days she had it, it started peeling off like a. Oh yeah, I did remember seeing that. Like a sticker would. Or a screen protector would. And so even just having it a couple days and having that essential part of the screen peeling off is... Broker screen? Yeah. Actually, yeah. I don't think it broke, I know, but it was... Uh, like, who yeah, was it? Was it, is it Dieter with the Vergecast that had, Vergecast that had like a piece of dust get under his... Uh, yes, and yes. And that broke as what caused the break? Mm-hmm. So it was not his fault, but it was still the same component that broke it. Yeah, it was like a bump or something on it. So it sounds like Galaxy Fold, Samsung, all they really got to do is just fix this really iffy, cheap screen layer and they're gold. 
Yeah. Says the non-engineer. <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm bummed about this, um, mostly because this is, I mean, we talked about how cool it is as a technology and how neither of us are interested in it personally, but, you know, we're kind of rooting for it to advance well because that means cool stuff for future, right? Yeah, the, the thing for me about this that I am so, like... I feel bad for the for uh, Samsung in this because just a couple of years ago they had the whole scandal with the, the Note Seven, with the Note Seven like exploding and that was all over the news. Like literally, airlines said if you have a Galaxy yeah. Note Seven, you have to turn it off or whatever. And even in the hospital, when I delivered pizza, I was in a hospital. It said, "Hey, if you have one of these, like turn it off before you go into certain areas of the hospital." I mean, it was just a nightmare. Yeah, and I think the media scary. blew it up a little oh, bit yeah. more oh, than. Yeah. It, Needed to be. If I remember right, it was something like less than one percent of the devices were actually blown up, but it was prevalent enough. Um, don't quote me on that statistic. But if it, <laughs> it was prevalent enough that it blew up and it was a problem, but it wasn't as big a deal as most people took it out to be. Yeah, it's it just a huge PR nightmare. Yeah, and so like coming off of that, a couple years later, they have the Galaxy Fold, which is their like one of their big announcements. You know, yeah. one of their main things. They're like, hey, check out this amazing Working phone that we've made. Eight and years. then a lot of them are breaking. And it's just like, oh gosh, I feel bad for Samsung. I think it, I think it says a lot about the maturity of the company that they're delaying the release of it now and recalling all um, re- review units. And so I actually didn't know that. Yeah, they just announced it like yesterday, I think. I think I read about it yesterday for the first time. So I'm going to put all the links to these things in the show notes. I know a lot of people won't really care, but... Um, That's okay. We're a majority of the listeners. We care. HD Galaxy Fold. Just so, like, people can, you know... <laughs> I just made a sad joke. <laughs> what did you say? We're the majority of the listeners, and we care. <laughs> <laughs> True that, suckers. No, I'm just kidding. I just feel bad for Samsung in just that... I think it's going to discourage a lot of people from buying this. Just just casual consumers yeah. that may have thought about it. It's like, oh, because oh. little things like you hear about just little things that someone says is like a, a rumor or like something like, oh, that breaks or, oh, this isn't good because of this. And then it just spreads like wildfire. And then you hear all these non-tech people saying things as if it's common knowledge like one of the big yeah. ones like one that I can think of is like on the iPhone when everyone just double taps or double clicks the home button and then slides up and quits all their apps by just sliding them all up to save battery that is just not true but it's something that every literally I watch people with their iPhones everyone does it and it just it was one of those things that became a little bug in people's ears and it spread like wildfire and I think this also like just the Galaxy or Samsung phones being like unreliable, exploding and breaking after a couple days could be one of those things that could deter yeah. the common consumer. Um, yeah, I think the average consumer is not going to really care. Um, I don't think it'll affect the average person. I mean, I, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be like, oh man, they break all the time. That's why I'm not going to buy one when they probably couldn't afford one anyway and wouldn't buy one anyway. So, yeah, I guess, I guess my thought on that is that it would be more for the people who have like are pretty well off financially but aren't like super super techie they like would Dieter like, with the verge cast <laughs> oh, no no because he's pretty techie I'm considering is he though i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, he does review tech products for a living. Um, but, you know, like someone who's like a businessman, yeah, who's like yeah, the I know C- what you mean. CEO it's like of the, a company. An executive you know? of a bank or something like yeah, that. Yeah, just someone who's like, oh, he, who's interested in tech but isn't like super like in it, you know? That's like hearing the news, listening to the podcast, reading the websites about things that just hears like little rumors and stuff. So, I mean, it's yeah. not that big of a deal because like you said, it's already a niche product, but I just don't think this is going to do Samsung any favors, which I is think sad. the next month of updates by the media will have a huge influence on what happens. Yeah, that's Because true. if they fix all these problems, it could still be disastrous based on media response even if there are no problems whatsoever at launch um if media can't let go of this goat let it run free and wild (laughs) and uh, listening to the verge cast about this when they were talking about it like Dieter talking about it when his broken and uh he said that he really likes it though other than that he says it's just such an awesome phone he thinks it's really really nice honestly i think it's Um, gorgeous Except the front little screen. Yeah, that the little, front little screen looks derpy. It does look very derpy. But when you open it up and it has it's just that little phone. thing, it's a like MKBHD cool looking, um, cool looking phone. MKBHD uploaded a picture to Twitter of he's probably using the Pixel Three to take a picture of it, but it was it was wide open looking at this like train station. I don't know. It's probably a famous one, and I'm showing my ignorance, but really nice looking. And it's it's the Galaxy Tab open with the camera open. So it's like you can see it in the background, and then you see the Galaxy Fold. Oh, that's cool. With the camera open. It's a good picture. I liked it. Maybe if money didn't matter to me, I probably wouldn't buy it anyway. (laughs) I'd buy a Tesla. (laughs) Let's be honest. Two very different things. But it has a delicious giant tablet in the middle, so. That's true. Anyway. Anyway. So one of the things that I have been thinking about lately at my work, I just want your opinions of, is this, how do I phrase this? I guess for me, when I work, I just, I don't You You want my opinion on your work? No, no. (laughs) Gosh, (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) Like when I'm at work, I just like to sit down and work on stuff. I'm not a chatter. I'm not, unless someone's like really interesting or there's something happened that's really cool. But like, I'm not someone who just chit chats with a bunch of people. I don't go out of my way to talk to people a lot. I just get down. You go out of your way to avoid people. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I've been noticing we have on our team, we have a chat, you know, kind of a, a chat for all of us so we can post like little updates, little changes to our workflow and little things like that, little updates for whatever, schedule things or whatever. And I have just noticed there's this kind of theme that is, I don't know if this is a universal theme and you see it much, but I see it in my work where there's just this kind of just over... Uh, just congratulatory, like, attitude. It's just there's just so much, like, back padding at my work, and it's just so frustrating. It's like someone will do something, hit a number, hit a hit a whatever that we're, you know, we have numbers that we're supposed to hit, and someone will go above and beyond, you know, do a little bit more, and then it's just like, it's like they just ran a marathon and had a baby at the same time. I don't, it's just crazy. It's just, that would be impressive. I, exactly. It's just, there's so much like, like go blank person for doing yeah, such a great you job. You broke your minimum record. <laughs> yeah. It's just, hey, it just kind of I know what you bugs mean. me. Um, my work, <laughs> um, there's a little bit of that in my work too. I'm not, probably not nearly as much as at your hilarious place. Um, yeah, our chief of staff, um, one of his 
makes <clears throat> our place on. We only have like 85, 86 employees there, but we're pretty decently um, well-known company. Um, I'd say in our specific industry, we're pretty well-known, but we, every time the sales team makes a sell, our chief of staff sends out an email to everyone in the company. <laughs> but basically the gist of it is, um, look who we sold to, look what we sold, look how much it was. And it's like this fancy little thing, like hooray sort of thing. And like, that's fine. It's the reply to all emails that come afterward. Oh no. <laughs> So the, generally speaking, it's pretty impressive. So when there's, you know, a three-figure sell done, I mean, I work in so- we work in software, right? Software is not cheap. Yeah, especially, so three especially figure, enterprise software. Enterprise software, three-figure sales, I'd say is probably the, not, I wouldn't say it's the norm, but it's it's probably a good, it happens maybe once a week. Meh, no, not quite once a week. One, once every other week or so. So how often do you get these emails? Like just about every other day. Every other Sometimes day. Sometimes three to four times a day. Sometimes we don't get one for like a week. Because okay. it sells, right? It's volatile. Yeah. So we'll get like a giant sale. Like the other, like last November, we had the biggest sale in company history, I think. And there is a good like two dozen response, reply to all emails like, holy cow, guys, amazing. And stuff like that. And like, the CEO and CTO were the first to respond that time and just like, congratulations on reeling this one in, guys. You've worked hard on this for months. We know. Great effort. But then there's the ones where it's like um, the bare minimum you can sell. <laughs> it's like, congratulations. You sold customer service plan for like a month. <laughs> and it's it's cheap. I mean, it's still enterprise software, so it's not cheap, but it's cheap compared to what the normally sell is. And I'd say about one out of every five emails, there's two or three people that respond with, holy cow, good job, amazing work. And it's just like, that sucked. Did you see last week's? <laughs> like, I mean, every sale's great because that's still half my yearly salary. But still, why so enthusiastic over that? <laughs> yeah, I I definitely can see that. Just it's like It's like someone has a just a copy and pasting, just a little snippet that when anyone, they get this particular email, they just hit reply all, they copy this thing from the, some, some like sticky note on their, on their computer. And then they just post it. Let's be honest. It's probably actually Google's new autocomplete AI stuff. Oh, that's it's true. It's just like you hit reply all and it's just like a uh, tab send. <laughs> actually, I use that quite a bit. So at work. It's amazing. It is actually pretty good. Um, so kudos on Google for that. It's it's better than their autocomplete for texting. I gotta say, their texting responses are. Let me see if I can find one. I could see that considering I feel like email is a little bit more niche in the general use case. Where texting, I mean, you can have all kinds of texts, but you can't have all kinds of email. But I feel like the majority of email that's sent is based, you know, in business or communications, more professional than yeah. text messages are. Yeah, like for example. My niece sent me a see my location on Google Maps thing. And the suggested response are, will do. Thank you. <laughs> it's like, okay, good. Good job, Google. Those are great. Mm, that's awesome. But I, I, yeah, like it kind of makes sense though at the same time because, I mean, we're engineers, software engineers. So in our minds, um, the product is a good enough backpat when it works. <laughs> and these sales guys um they just do the grind forever and a sale is a huge thing for them because i'd say i mean 
when I did even anything close to sales, like one out of 600 people I talked to that even showed a little bit of interest was like a big deal. So actually making a sale, I'm sure that's pretty important. Okay. Uh, I think that's all we were going to talk about today. See you guys later. No, I'm just kidding. The last topic that we had was our homework for this week, uh, for last week, I should say, which was to read Elder Oaks's talk from the 2000 or October 2018 General Conference. Uh, I let me pull I, it up. I'm just going to have to be honest. Like, let me pull it up here. This talk is so just like out of left field. Um, I just had to like every everything that he said, I just had to like analyze against the Gospel of Josh. Gosh, totally kidding. I'm quoting someone from Twitter after the talk came out. Oh man, that was, I was like, wait, what? Now this talk is one of the reasons why I believe in modern day prophets. Cause it's seriously like, I mean, this, this, this is pretty mainstream stuff that he's bringing up, but it's referencing, um, literally decade or two decade old talks about this stuff that is so applicable to current events that it's it's kind of mind-blowing like this stuff was some of this stuff about gender was not even in a twinkling in someone's eye in the early 90s and they were talking about it then and it's kind of mind-blowing to me a little bit how applicable it is so the talk uh just are on the same page is called truth and the plan uh there was a link in the show notes last week. I'll put a link in it in the show notes this week too. If you haven't read it, I would pause this podcast and go read it, listen to it. It's on YouTube. It's on, you know, you can find it anywhere. If you just search Elder Oaks, Truth in the Plan, you'll find it. Yeah, it's it's really, really worth listening to, not just because of the political side of it, but because the vast majority is it is helping you understand where you need to go to for sources of truth, both secular and spiritual. And I mean, I think the number one advice that you could take away from this talk is um, that being a professional in one field does not entitle you to be able to speak or have authority in another field. And I think that's just so useful in the secular world. Like people really need to cite their sources better for so many different things. That's, man, snake oils. That's why they exist is because some random person has a degree in one thing and thinks that they can affect your diet. So overall, like what were your, before we get into some of the nittier, grittier stuff, Mm -hmm. what is your just overall thoughts on the talk as a whole? As a whole, um, I think this talk is one of Elder Oak's more tender and loving talks. Looking at his talk, it seems a little blunt and harsh. But compared to most of his talks, I'd say it's focusing more on ways that an individual can adapt their will to align their will to God's and coming back from difficult paths, I'd say. It's, it has, there's so many facets to this talk. It's like, it's got a lot of depth. That was one of the things that I thought while listening to it. Um, I read this a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago, actually, and then we just listened to it together because we both forgot to read it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a little confession there. But um, <clears throat> I realized while listening to this how much of just the over, like how much he 
talks about in this. Like, it's not just because when I originally heard it or when I was originally, like, thinking about it, it was just like, okay, he talks about these particular things. He touches on gender. He touches on, you know, like, finding truth. He touches on a couple different things. But if you actually read through it, he ta- he's talking about. about all kinds of stuff. He's talking about the whole plan of salvation, the whole, like, Repentance, basically the whole um, like doctrine truth, of Christ. Like just amazing. He's hitting so many different things, just all, you know, in succession that all kind of surround the central idea of, you know, the truth, obviously, like, finding truth, knowing what the truth is, and then the plan, I'm assuming, plan of salvation. Yeah. Um, and kind of God's plan is where that name comes from. Um, so let's kind of get into it a little bit, talk about kind of what parts jumped out at us and kind of what our thoughts were on certain certain aspects of this. Cool, cool. So um, <clears throat> did you underline anything in the introduction? Uh, define introduction. Oh, yes, Up until sorry. item one? Yep. <clears throat> My first mark is after the item one, so what did you find? Okay, so this kind of goes back to what you were talking about Um so th- this talk is broken into sections in the in, in the written version. Um, so I actually have a paper copy here that I'm going to be flipping through. I've got some nice Foley work. Um, so there are, looks like, four sections. So we'll actually, we should just take this one by one, or the, the sections one by one and just kind of go through them. I'm saying. good with that, and we can talk about what we online. So yeah. introduction, anything, what you got? So my thing for the introduction um, was just kind of his talking about kind of what you were mentioning earlier, just the idea that... Um, just because you are an expert on one thing or you make a name for yourself or are notable for one area of the world doesn't make you a, necessarily an authoritative figure on other, uh, on other um, facets of the world, I guess. So just I the quote the here. He says, it. he says, we should be cautious about relying on information or advice offered by entertainment stars, uh, prominent athletes, or anonymous internet sources. Expertise in one field should not be taken as expertise on truth in other subjects. I really like his bit about anonymous internet sources, especially like so many of the arguments that I come across on Reddit, which is purely anonymous, are often backed by other Reddit posts. You know what I mean? Like people will Uh, will like cite, check out this expert who did an AMA or, and it's like an anonymous AMA. Of like I did this, and like oh yeah, sure you did. <laughs> it's like, can you really approve that? And I mean, AMA generally they 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 allegedly like make sure to validate before people do stuff to make sure it's provable. But even then, I still don't really trust it. But but it's like that's that's an interesting point. Anonymous online sources, blogs, you know, other things like that. That's just like, can you really validate this? And I think even journalists, like professional journalists whose job is to get to the truth of things, like that's what journalism allegedly is, is reporting the truth of things, the facts without the bias. Like that ever happens anymore. <clears throat> um, I don't think that happens ever, quite <laughs> frankly. <laughs> but it's really difficult because there are a lot of things that get spread like wildfire only to come out like hours, days, months later that, oh, that was a complete fabrication and everyone took it as hard fact. Yeah, I think that's so damaging too in that regard because there's, even if like the initial burst of, you know, false information that gets spread around, tons of people hear that. But then when it comes out as false, not as many people hear it. And so it still gets spread around. And so that just, that takes so long to get out of the system of our society. 
I think one of the best examples of that and how it's actually still affecting society is that study done by, I think it was Germans, a bunch of Germans, on um, how chocolate reduces heart disease. And it was it was this kind of this fake bogus study that's entire purpose was to prove that you can take any bit of data and make it say whatever you want. And they just they, – they did a, a legit study, had it peer-reviewed, and published it. And then they later said, guys, chocolate does not reduce heart disease. We did this to see – like this is like – so you can see how easy it is to get misinformation and like media reported on it like, oh my gosh, eat more chocolate and all this other stuff. Like good news, guys. You can eat lot, as much chocolate as you want and not have heart attack. Like <laughs> – it it was I mean it sounds like such a headline. <laughs> it's a it's a pretty famous it's a pretty famous study. It was done in like the mid two thousands, and um, we should put it in the show notes. We should find it because yeah, it's it, I think it's it. worth reading because it, it, it <clears throat> proves such an important point about um, how even one well allegedly well researched position can be entirely wrong. Wasn't there just. Wasn't it just like a year ago or two years ago, these two guys who did a similar thing where they tried, they basically wrote a bunch of bogus papers, like a bunch of them, not just like a couple, but they spent months writing these bogus papers and then they submitted a bunch of them to a bunch of journals. I'm saying the word bunch a lot. They submitted all of their papers to different journals and several of them got published as fact oh, and they yeah. were completely fabricated like 100% fabricated these yeah. guys were making political statements and they were like not just they the things weren't even really that from what i remember they weren't even that believable like they, they were, were just, just complete way horse crap. kind of yeah outside out of left field and they were from what I remember, they were kind of left-leaning, like, to make the, like, kind of the left look better. I don't know exactly what they were on. I'm going to have to find that, too. And I remember listening to her walking around the house. I think your brother was watching an interview yeah. with the two yeah. guys, um, probably on Joe Rogan or something, um, <laughs> about, like, their process and, like, what they did and why they did it. And it was just really interesting that even, you know, these guys— could fabricate these papers and get them published, published in, in legit in journals. Peer-reviewed, like, really... Not even no-name journals. Like, some of them were legit journals that published them. Yeah, so we'll so, have to find that for the so show notes as I well. I did find... I just did find it. Um, oh, you did? I did get a couple details wrong. Um, so it isn't about lowering, like, lowering cholesterol. It was a journalist that was trying to prove a message. Um, the NPR just says, eating chocolate bar daily can help you lose weight. Sorry, that study was a sweet lie, part of an elaborate hoax to school the news media about proper nutrition science journalism. Hmm. So it, it, I mean, it spread like wildfire. And I, I'm gonna, you should copy can that. link this NPR link to yeah. for the podcast. Okay, so yeah, that was the only thing that I had in the introduction. I didn't have anything in the introduction. I saw you underlining something and went, "That's gonna sum up the whole introduction." So. Yeah. So let's go to number one. Section one. Yeah, section one here. So section one. Um, I underlined something in it in the first paragraph. Um, Go for it. So um, I I really like the quote. He quotes President Henry B. Eyring saying, um, speaking of um, <clears throat> people who, who lose their religious faith because of secular teachings, 
Um, Henry Bayering says, their problem does not lie in what they think they see. It lies in what they cannot yet see. And I find that very interesting. That's that's kind of a good point. I, f- I feel like w- when it comes to um, a lot of pretty much truth in general, a lot of people struggle with hard facts. Like even, even when it comes to like nutrition, like right now, um, saturated fats, as an example, are being considered either neutral to even good for you. Um, whereas 10, 15, 20 years ago, they were literally the devil of nutrition. Like, don't you dare touch those saturated fats. Um, and so like not being able to like that, I see a lot of reactions of even people currently who are still stuck in that old mindset who struggle to see, how does he put it? Um, they're quitting the study of, of this truth because like they, they, they don't have the full picture yet and they aren't trying to find it. Does that make sense? Yeah. The, the point I'm trying to make. And, and to me, it kind of, it kind of ties back to his original point in the, in the introduction about, um, looking to the right sources for things. And the thought that I had was that for spiritual truth, you need to use spiritual means to use them. Um, and I had this thought a while ago. Um, the, the way we, you know, do scientific studies is we come up with a method and test it out. And so we test it multiple times we test it in different scenarios and we do a bunch of different tests and then we can conclude that, you know, with all these tests, it seems like this is the case in this particular thing. And I think that spiritually, it's the same exact thing. It's like there are tests that we run, reading the scriptures, praying, you know, like there are several things that we do in order to get that test to work. And if those test results, quote unquote, come back, um, in the same way every single time, if it's repeatable, then we can kind of say that this study, quote unquote, was true. One of the things that I absolutely love about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you're able to actually apply the scientific method to it. Um, in that you can, so, so like the basis of like the scientific method is you come up with a hypothesis and your hypothesis needs to be flushed out enough that you're able to make predictions based that, that, that like your theory, I should say, your theory has, has made up of a bunch of hypotheses and that theory, using that theory, you can use that as groundwork to make predictions of expected outcomes. And then you make, you do experiments to test your theory to determine. And if your expected outcome happens, then the theory is more substantialized. Like it's more true. So to yeah, speak, though nothing is technically true in science. That's true. Everything is still moldable. But when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can do the same thing. Like if you take the null hypothesis of it's true, you know, assuming that it is true, aka having faith, you can make experiments with expected outcomes where if I follow this commandment, then I will have this blessing in my life. Like, for example, if I follow the law of chastity, I'll never get AIDS. <laughs> like, and I mean, obviously there are edge cases, but the vast majority of people, that will be true. And yeah, something with tithing, there's a, like I mean, you it fall kind of off tithing, everything. you'll be more financially stable. And that might be because you're not worried as much about tithing, about money, because you're willing to sacrifice it. And, and it's interesting to see that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ can, can be tested in such a, secular way and yeah. still hold 
water. Yeah, just like a methodical. You can make a, take a methodical approach to the gospel. And I think that I think that is why it bugs me so much when you know more secular people or people that are, are non-religious um, say things like, "Oh, you know, you're just believing a bunch of crap that your parents told you, or you're blindly following." It's like, no, I have like, literally, like, <laughs> I've ran hundreds of tests over my whole life. You know, kind of non. They're all anecdotal. Yeah. But I mean, for me, it's like, it's the same type of thing. It's like, like, I have methodically, systematically tested this for myself and found it to be true. My tests are not going to be evidence for you. You have to find your own because that's how the spirit and spirituality works is one person's evidences cannot convince another. Like that's the whole point of drawing closer to God is you have to have a relationship with him yourself personally. And I think that's one of the big that's a stumbling differences block. of yeah. like the scientific method where you can say, hey, this applies to everyone where- If you do exactly these things, you'll have exactly this outcome. That's not true with the spiritual things. Yeah. It's like you, it's, I mean, that's kind of also true when it comes to sociology. Like- just because you run this, the exact same parameters, the exact same test on a specific person doesn't mean someone else running that exact same test with the exact same parameters on a specific person will have the same results because people interact with each other differently based on emotion. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of like, this is kind of cool actually, like thinking about this, like God's a person and he has emotions and it's, I mean, he's perfect but it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to respond to the exact same test in the exact same way every time. Oh yeah. So like, sure. like that's one of the reasons why scientific method is kind of iffy is that you cannot have repeatable um what's the word? experiments. You cannot have repeatable experiments and that's also where faith comes in, right? That's that's something I, I don't know. I that's what I this this talk like this quote made me think of was that, you know, one of the things that we struggle with when we're learning truth is there's always more truth to learn. And um, the part of the gospel that people struggle with is there's no such thing as done with it, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what he's getting at here is like their problem does not lie in what they think they see. It lies in what they cannot yet see. Yeah, I like that he throws the yet in there because it kind of – yeah. It implies that they would get there if yeah. they kept going. Mm-hmm. That kind of segues really nicely into one of the other things that I thought was interesting in this little first section. Um, and let's see if I can find the exact thing. Yeah, so he says, says those who do not learn by study and also by faith uh, limit their understanding of truth to what they can verify by scientific means. They put artificial limits on their pursuit of truth. And the thing that stood out to me there was that um, they do not learn by study and also by faith. And it just struck me that faith is necessary to learn spiritual truth. Like, because faith in and of itself isn't a knowledge, it's kind of more of a belief, I guess, or feeling, and a couple other things. But in order to learn spiritual things, you have to have a little bit of faith first. And that is what helps you learn truth. And so without faith without any type of belief without knowing without kind of some uncertainty but still wanting it to be true you can't learn anything spiritually and i think that's just fascinating it's it's something i love to say is it's the null hypothesis of our religion is and and when it comes to a lot of i mean have you ever heard what the null hypothesis is uh no i may have heard it but i can't remember truth basically like to to sum it up it's 
a lot of experiments you can't get anywhere with unless you assume it true. Like, for example, it's tied a lot to evolution is that it's assumed true and that's how they're able to find evidences for it. Mm, And so the same is true for religion. Um, The null hypothesis of all faith is faith, which is assuming it is true, believing, hoping Mm -hmm. that it is true. And that's... um, I, I just I love calling it the null hypothesis because it makes it sound so much better than just I believe it. <laughs> so let's move on to section two here in the talk. Um, is there anything interesting you found in section two? I have like one or two things. Yeah, I have two things underlined in this entire section. The first one is the comment on how gender is eternal. Um, gender is eternal. Before we are born. On this earth, we lived as male or female spirits in the presence of God. Um, I don't know. I mostly underline that as a. This is a super prevalent right now with all of, um, the left. <laughs> I mean, I don't think anyone else other than left or leftist centrists and leftists themselves um, really push anything dealing with. Uh, gender equal gender not gender equality gosh that is not at all where i'm going with this um a lot of people say gender is fluid like gender oh, is spectrum a spectrum and mm-hmm. implying that you're capable of being one gender one year and a gender different gender the next and like this straight up is saying nope you're one gender forever Yeah, and I have such a weird, like, obviously, you know, I just want to hedge a little bit on this, that I obviously don't struggle with this stuff, I don't know very many people who have, and I don't know, obviously, a lot about, like, the ins and outs of this, but it just, it seems to me that it seems more about the uh, kind of our traditional ideas of what a man and a woman are, um, which I still think are founded in kind of a more spiritual thing, but it, I don't know. Your pay money wubby guy talked about this, and this, he's just a horrible dude. But he is such a. We're not going to put this link in the show notes, but he has an interesting point there. That if you feel like a woman, like what does that actually mean? What does it mean to feel like a woman? Like, <laughs> Maybe that's we like should a good ask Sinai Twain. <laughs> 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 Uh, but, but like, uh, no, I, I, I know though, like I literally, my whole life, I don't even think about it now. What does it feel like to be a dude? Like, what does it mean to be a man? Like, how does that feel? It's just like, when I think about like, what does it feel like to be a man? It's just, I don't know. It's just what I am. I, I exist. Like, yeah. that's what it feels like to be a man is I exist. Like, Feeling like a man doesn't mean you're suddenly super into trucks or suddenly super into traditionally masculine things that are just like brawny, tough guy sort of stuff. Like, yeah, that was that was my thought exactly as, as well. And I'm sure there's another side of this argument, but it's just the idea of like feeling like a man or like I feel like a woman doesn't really make it's a ton of sense because kind it, of a meaningless statement it does because i mean if you if feeling like a woman to you means like wearing a dress or you know cutting your hair short and like in a bob cut or or you know painting your fingernails or whatever like 
you can do that and still say you're a guy. Like, it's, I don't know. It's, it's just a little bit weird to me. It's kind of interesting to see because these people, like, one example that this, I mean, this guy, his videos are so gross and he's totally not worth watching. <laughs> this pay money will be guy? Yeah, but yeah, he's so he's, funny. He is pretty funny. But he's just so repulsive. He is. <laughs> um, and I'm sometimes ashamed to talk to t- that I even watch him. But he, his, his whole thing about the boy, like... The mm, the mm-hmm. babies who yeah, raise the their child gender gender neutral, because um, the boy says he didn't like being a boy because boys didn't like dresses and dolls, and this boy liked dresses and dolls, so they turn him into a girl. It's like um, it's like that comment. Like there's two statements. Like um, there is no gender stereotype. Like we need to get rid of that. And liking dresses and dolls makes you a girl. Like, pick one. Yeah. Like, and, and so it's like this idea that, that that they, I don't know. This it's irrational. This this gender fluidity stuff. It's completely irrational and it's purely emotional. It's how they feel. It's what they feel. It's it, it's not grounded in any sort of um, logical process. I just, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I feel like, yeah. I mean, the only the only thing I kind of, because I don't want to be like unsensitive to people who actually feel like this, but. I do. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's, it's like, tough, I know. Because, I mean, if someone does, quote unquote, feel like a woman, like a man who feels like a woman who wants to wear dresses and paint their nails and do, you know, all those things, <clears throat> I feel like there's there's not anything wrong with that per se I feel like if that guy actually wants to do that but I feel like that is where our kind of our society has kind of rejected them in that point like where it just comes across as really weird yeah and so they're kind of shunned in that regard which I feel like is not great um and we should kind of be a little bit more kind to people because everyone's different weird in their own ways but I do think it's kind of weird just that idea of of like okay now I'm a woman because I quote unquote feel like one. It's the the main issue that I have with I take with it is um it's not I don't have a problem with someone who's interested like for example this this hypothetical man who wants to be a woman and wants to wear dresses and stuff like that. I have no problem with him taking an interest in those things and wearing dresses and doing those things. I have a problem with it being a part of his identity. Mm-hmm. That it is a fundamental part of who he is. That's an issue that I have with it is that when what you do becomes so ingrained with your image of yourself and who you are, um, that any attacks on what you do is detrimental to your psychological well being. That's a serious problem that you need to work on. It isn't society that needs to conform to your identity it's you that needs to recognize that there's a difference between your identity and what you do and there's a difference between how you view yourself and what you want to view yourself as like mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah no like definitely. i i i i think it's incredibly important to pe- treat these people with kindness charity sympathy not pity definitely yeah, not no, pity yeah for sure they do not want pity they want our understanding and acceptance, and it's incredibly important to recognize that. And I think it's 
equally important to help them not identify their whole being with something so fragile. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. I grew up being taught that that the only thing we should be identifying ourselves as, as children of God. And like, that is like a universal thing, a part of being who we are. And, and like a label is not something we should be so closely associated with that it ruins our life. If that label turns out to be wrong or incorrect or broken or attacked. I think that's also like just kind of how our culture is because a lot of, a lot of us, you know, like when you say, Oh, you know, what do you, what are you, or what do you do? Like you always like start with your career or whatever. You're like, Oh, I I am a doctor or I am a programmer or I'm a musician or I'm, you know, a cashier at a grocery store or whatever it is. And I feel like a lot of times we do to identify as that, or I'm a musician. So therefore I, sit in my room and write sad songs or I am a doctor. So therefore I make a lot of money and drive kind of a cool car, but you know, I work long hours. Yeah. I also work long hours or I'm a programmer and I'm a nerd who just sits in this basement and programs Dungeons and Dragons on the weekend. Yeah. And so like we do, I think we as just a society have a problem, like kind of have a bit of a problem with that. We're saying like, I am this um, and I think that has also creeped into this idea of like, I am a woman or I am a man or whatever it is. Um, anyway. Yeah. This topic is. Yeah. I think we've, yeah, I think we've gone we've through it. Beat this horse. So the other, um, thing that kind of comes off of that a little bit, uh, in the same section is the part where he talks about, um, Let's see. He talks about, he's talking about the plan of salvation at this point. Um, let's see. And he says, A loving God reaches out to each of us. We know that through his love and because of the atonement of his only begotten son, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of his gospel. And I was just struck while we listened to this, just how just universal the gospel is and just universal, like, I feel like so many times we, I think, unknowingly kind of say, oh, well, I am more loved by God because I am trying to keep the commandments or I this or I that. But, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, I'm walking around or sitting around. I just look at someone who I don't even just a random person, but it could be someone that I don't particularly like, like or care for that often or whatever, you know, and I just think, man, like. That is a total stranger, but God loves that person just as much as he loves me. And it is, he is just as involved in his life and wants him to return to, you know, to him just as much as he is with me. And I think we lose track of that sometimes, just how individual it all is and how he is there for everyone. Not just the people who are trying to follow yeah. him, but the atheists like and the people, the, just everyone. The italics, the emphasis it adds to all mankind. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I love, like, as much as we, we talk about the political meanings and that the, 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 this talk has and how this, this Elder Oaks is talking, like, I mean, we've already kind of fallen into this a little bit where we're bringing up the political and philosophical ramifications of what he's saying when really his message is found in these two paragraphs here. Like I underlined in the next paragraph, um, 
Under the great plan of our loving creator, the mission of his restored church is to help the children of God achieve the supernal blessing of exaltation in the celestial kingdom, which can be attained only through an eternal marriage between a man and a woman. Like the reason why I underline that isn't the, that it's outlining what steps are required to get there, but that this is the great plan of our loving father in heaven, our loving creator, like his entire purpose, God's entire purpose right now is our eternal happiness and through the plan like the entire purpose of the church is to enable us to become happy i think that also kind of changes the perspective a little bit because a lot of people think oh you know the gospel or your church has such weird rules or like this and that why can't you guys just be more accepting and all this stuff but if you think about it in the eye, in kind of the lens that he's, you know, kind of putting in front of our eyes here, that he's basically saying, hey, God set this thing up so that we can be happy. And he has certain things that he wants us to do in order to achieve that. You know, there are steps to to get to where we want, where God wants us to be. And these are just what they are. Like, we're not here to, to you know, do anything but show you these steps and try to get you to do these steps that God set forth. Not us, not any man, but this is what God wants you to do, wants me to do, wants everyone to do. And I think that is where kind of what you're talking about at the very beginning, just kind of this is a very loving talk. Yeah. Um, that like that is kind of what it is. This is what God wants us to do. And it's his method for getting there, not man's. I really wish we had time to like just basically read every section from here on out of this talk and go over it yeah. literally line for line. I, I underline quite a bit and I would like to get to, if if not all of it, most of it, but he ends this section with um, anyone who understands these eternal truths, what, I mean, what what he's bringing up, uh, the, the role of God and the role of the church um, can understand why we members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints think as we do and do as we do. And then he outlines um, what he says. I will now mention some applications applications of these eternal truths, which can be understood only in the light of God's plan. And, oh man, I wish we could just <laughs> really just dive into every single one of these. These are so fantastic. I do, before we go into that a little bit, I do love that paragraph you just read. Because he basically said, you know, anyone who understands these eternal truths can understand why we do what we do. Yeah. It's just that idea that if you don't understand why we're doing it, it's because you don't understand the eternal truths that we are, like, it's, are, it's, are, are, believe in. It's, it, it's not that you have to accept them per se, but if <laughs> it's, there's it's, a method to the madness, basically. It's, it's like the idea that you go back a couple like a century to when or more than a century a century and a half now to where people are literally toiling every day for their own livelihood to just get food all winter long they would look at us now going to the gym and lifting weights as ridiculous like why 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 would you just go and pump iron like yeah you're literally just standing in a room lifting something heavy repeatedly like you, if if you don't understand the truth underneath it, that our lifestyles don't give us the necessary exercise that we need to maintain our bodies, um, then it's just ridiculous. Like people go and run in place 
for hours. <laughs> and it's boring and it's weird. And they dress funny. And not understanding why they're doing that um, really makes it look peculiar. And us as members of the church, like why we don't drink alcohol. Like if you know anything about health and what alcohol does, then it's kind of obvious. But even socially, like you don't drink it. And it's it's kind of like, but why? And then you dive into we have the word of wisdom and we believe that God gave it to us for a specific reason and we trust God and so we obey God. Like the the, the truth that that God knows better than us and so we follow him is why we don't do it, right? Mm-hmm. Is I think, yeah, I love that. Like understanding, it, it, it that's one of the difficulties. Like, I mean, it just it's, it's such a beautiful talk because it like ties right back into the beginning where like you almost have to be an expert in a field to criticize it properly. Like for like to to really mm-hmm. to really tear apart why something is false, you have to understand it as well as the person trying to prove it true. Like uh, there 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 are methods that you and shortcuts you can take to to rely on other authorities and peer reviewed stuff to determine the validity of something. But when it comes to spiritual things, um, those sources are only the prophets. And like to understand the gospel, like you really do have to learn for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that. I like that line of thinking. And I, 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 I seriously, I love that comment. Can only be understood in the light of God's plan. Like understanding the eternal perspective of why we do certain things is incredibly important. Yeah, and also just I just actually realized this right now as you're talking that that these he he goes on and he mentions five, six. He mentions six different things, and he basically says in that first paragraph, you know what you just read that. Um, if you don't understand these, like er, these can only be understood in the light of God's plan. So it looking through the lenses of the plan of salvation that he has, you know, previously talked about is the only way these are going to make sense. So if you're not looking through those lenses, the things that he mentions, these six things are going to seem weird to you. And actually, I think it'd be pretty easy to just there's a sentence for each one of these. So these f- six things are, we honor individual agency. We're a missionary people. Mortal life is sacred to us. Some, let's see. Some people are troubled by the church's positions on marriage and children. Um, we have a distinctive perspective on children. And we believe, we are beloved children of a heavenly father. And, like these, these, uh, yeah, understanding the plan of salvation, God's plan for us is critical to understanding. I mean, for example, I think the, the one that I underlined first is mortal life is sacred to us. Our commitment to God's plan requires us to oppose abortion and euthanasia. Um, not the children in Asia. I mean, euthanasia. <laughs> As a, yeah, sorry, that was a joke. <laughs> Terrible jokes aside, um, mortal life is sacred to us. And like having the perspective of the plan 
um, when you understand that the role of life is to come, like uh, understanding the plan of salvation, I recommend you look it up on churchofjesuschrist.org. Read the beginning. Or come unto Christ.org. He literally talks about the whole plan of salvation. Kind That's of true. At the or just of read this. this talk and study <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Right. Um, but the, the whole idea, um, like understanding why we oppose abortion so vehemently. Is that how you say it? Uh, I'd say vehemently. Vehemently, yeah. Why we oppose it so stringently, <laughs> so forcefully, um, makes perfect sense when you understand the problem of salvation. Like individual life has so much value because of the plan of salvation. Like the sacrifices that people have made in order to get like Christ made in order for us to come to earth and experience what we're experiencing um, really sheds light on why it's so important that we protect life at all, at all cost. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And yeah, I mean, I don't really have anything to say. Then it's pretty summed it up pretty well, right there. Yeah. What, um, you, what have you underlined? In this I had area? I had two. Um, the first one was the, the number four, where he says some people are troubled on our position on marriage and children. Um, uh, yeah, kind of the idea that we believe in traditional marriage between a man and a woman. Um, we don't. We kind of look down on altering gender or the, what I actually underlined was or homogenizing the differences between men and women. Yeah, I underline that. And I, <clears throat> I think that's a big part of it. And I, and I don't just mean I, – I, at least I take that sentence to mean homogenizing the difference between men and women uh, that we kind of you know frown upon that. Um, not as like, hey, if you're a guy and like to watch um, like – romantic comedies like you can't do that because that's not traditionally manly or grow your hair out or grow your hair out <laughs> funny <laughs> just kidding um, or or whatever but just there are certain kind of attributes but more I feel like duties there's different men and women have have different and specific kind of roles roles that's that's the better word they have specific roles in this planet salvation on earth and I feel like understanding your part in that role is part of what why we're here you know like saying i as a man like i was born to you know provide for a family become a father and 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 certain things like that and women have similar roles that are just as important they're complementary and very complementary it's the yin and yang you know that are very co- yin and yang. I don't think there's a y g in the first one anyway. Yin um, and yang is that what you're saying? Yin and yang. Yin and yang. Yeah, yeah. I always say yin and yang, and I always have to correct myself because I realize I said it wrong just right before I that after anyway. Um, and to me, that makes total sense that there is complementary roles Especially, between the two. Oh man, and We're have to talk about this at some point I just remembered I read an article today uh, a James Damore situation is is the, the Google mm-hmm. document about differences between men and women there's a situation like this going on right now at Microsoft oh really yeah except it's a woman really yeah so huh. we'll have to talk about it in an episode I'll, I'll find a link yeah. to the article yeah I'll put it in the show notes and we'll, we can talk about it later but yeah this whole the, the whole idea that men and women are different but equal um i think is an incredibly crucial truth to understand to i mean 
it's difficult to understand without understanding our roles in the gospel of Jesus Christ and what makes us um, shine, Yeah, I guess. Exactly. And they're both essential. I mean, he says right after that, Gosh, he says, we know that the relationships, identities, and functions of men and women are essential to accomplish God's great plan. So I feel like a lot of people take what we... What we teach in the church that men and women are different, they have distinctive roles that are very complementary, they just find that as sexist or demeaning in some way. And oppressive. Yeah, oppressive. And I kind of find it the opposite. It's freeing. Yeah. Where I, I see it as very freeing. Yeah, because like as a you know, as There's a guy, we're taught specific things like, hey, you know, one day you're gonna have to care for a family or you're gonna have to, you know, you should be father one day and all these things and and it kind of gives me more purpose. It gives me something to work for, what something to to to, you know, strive for. And it's the same thing with women, you know, they have their own their own things that they talk about in their classes and and, and things that they're taught and I don't know. It just seems so foreign to me that that's so uh, taboo and like, oh man, you can't oppress the the genders by giving them traditional roles because these roles are just Western civilizations, you know, cultural cultural um, representation. What's the word? It's like the idea that that this uh, hierarchy sort of thing. Like, there's there's a built up um, cultural societal system that's in place that no one knows why it's the way it is it just is and like the whole idea is we need to break this down so that we can let something more logical be built up in its place and then they proceed to do illogical things um but like this this was this whole idea though um that the traditional roles are incorrect and oppressive specifically to women because men are the patriarch to use the term that basically, gosh, that's the whole funny thing is like the world's understanding of the words that we use in the church are completely different than the actual definitions of those words. <laughs> like patriarchal old order, for example, a lot of people outside of the church would read that and go, my gosh, that means the person, the man is in control. They're in charge. They're telling everyone else what to do. In reality, the patriarchal order order is something I barely understand, and I know all it really means is the Lord just has a line of responsibilities that go from the top to the bottom, and that line is not up to down per se, but left to right, like progression from here to there, and each person just has a task that they're responsible for, and it just so happens that a dad has these responsibilities and a mom has these responsibilities under the unit. Like the patriarchal order includes women as well. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not domineering. In fact, there's a specific scripture that says that if you use your authority or power or priesthood, whatever, to domineer over anyone else, you lose the authority immediately. Like amen. Like it literally says amen to the priesthood of that man. Like they're like the understanding. Yeah. There's just so much, like you have to understand the plan of salvation for a lot of what, like you have to understand, like, that's why it's so important. Oh my gosh. My train of thought is everywhere. (laughs) Um, you need to understand the bare bones basics testimony of who God is, why God is, 
why we are who we are in order and where we're from, where we're going in order for anything else in the gospel to make sense. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't understand who you are as a child of God, your relationship to him and where you're headed in relationship to God and the plan of salvation. And what he wants for you yeah. and kind of the plan that he's kind he's of set forth. Yeah. Then nothing else makes sense. Nothing else can make sense. Like, I yeah. mean, well, we're just beating a dead horse with that, but, but it's kind of a little, it's something you learn over and over again. Like kind of mind blows you every time you learn it again is like, holy cow, the only reason why this commandment makes sense is because of where it leads me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's so interesting actually, as we've been having this conversation, because as we as we listen to this, I underline certain things like, oh, I want to talk about that. Oh, I want to bring that up. But as we've been going through and talking about it, I feel like the, our uh, kind of the mood, I guess, that's the, the mood is not like the right the tone. Word. Yeah, the tone of what we've been talking about has been kind of changing all of the things I wanted to talk about <laughs> in this. And so I'm like, ah, I can skip that. Nah, I can skip that because a lot of it was just like, Me yeah, too, stick actually. it to you guys, suckers, you know, but... Yeah, leftists. Yeah. and and <laughs> And then we're talking about the love of God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it makes it hard to like, oh, well. <laughs> can't really be proud about this. Yeah. yeah. That's the, oh my gosh, I, I've said this so much. That's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ <laughs> is it leads us to align our will with God's and God's will is to love everyone. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Another thing that just I want to touch on, right, is a lot of people think that the stuff that we teach about gender and like, men and women and send yeah. anyway all all the stuff that we teach that's controversial they think that it's really that we like hate people that are gay or we hate, hate people, people that, that struggle with things that we happen to disagree with yeah, or, or, or do things that we disagree people with people that are trans or people that live in different you know like like a stay-at-home dad instead of a stay-at-home yeah, mom. Yeah, stay-at-home dad, but just stay-at-home mom and everything like that. Or, yeah, versus stay-at-home mom and all these things. And I feel like for some reason it comes across as like that we hate these people and we're condemning them and think they're horrible people. And that is definitely not, I think, what either of, either of us. It's but, definitely not either of us. Yeah. I know there are people in the church that, again, don't really understand the role that they have it's i would say if there're anyone that's that's spewing forth hatred based on teachings of the church then they don't understand those teachings of the church yeah like the whole point of like our existence is to learn faith hope and charity like those three things are what are required to get into heaven and and of course the covenants that we make but but like these perceived ideas that we hate people because we have standards, specific standards that that are considered by many archaic and um, uneducated by many um, is is kind of well. For one, it's not not um, to get to the secular logical side, it's not substantiated by facts and reason and logic or any statistic that isn't being tampered with. Like you look into the history of mankind and societies that don't have traditional 
roles tend to break down and um, kill themselves off in some way or another, either by being conquered by another society or by literally burning down themselves or being burned down in the case of Rome or Babylon being, you know, destroyed or just, you know, I'm, I'm looking, I'm thinking of, you know, biblical era societies. Um, but like there's substantial evidence that these traditional roles have a psychological root in men and women and that men and women performing these roles are psychologically more healthy than those who do not. Like, I don't really know where I'm going with this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I think my entire overarching point is there's a reason why these roles exist, and that's because there's a plan. Yeah. I guess guess to end it, because we've been going for a while, but the thing that I kind of want to say at the very end as we're doing this is that, like... I feel like God has set this standard. He's given us the plan. He's given us kind of what he would like us to do. And we are all striving individually to get there. And we all have our different problems. We all have our different, you know, issues. And there are tons of things in general conference talks that I need to work on. There's tons of things that other people need to work on. These particular things that he's talking about, like gender and all, all these other ones, are prevalent in our society but that doesn't mean that the people who struggle with them are worse people or less loved by anyone or that we should less or care for them less. I just feel like it's like we're all trying to paint. It's God is saying, hey, we all want you to paint this Monet picture. Okay, Monet is a bad example because he's an impressionist. It is pretty sloppy. But like let's, everyone, let's, paint, let's the, paint this house. Let's paint the Mona Lisa. But what I'm going to give you, instead of a really fine paintbrush, we're all like painting with with broccoli where it's just like we're just we're just hashing it out like and cooked broccoli <laughs> cooked broccoli where it's just smudging and getting all over the it's just nasty but we're trying to slowly paint this picture the the mona lisa you know and just as we learn more as we slowly correct ourselves as we slowly improve all of our individually this that, that broccoli slowly becomes a brush and we're able to get we're just slowly able to get more of the fine details the yeah. fine points of it and i feel like a lot of times people either wrongly accuse other people like oh man look at your painting you're, it just looks like you're rubbing broccoli on a canvas you know like, when we're doing the I same mean, exact thing you kind of are rubbing broccoli <laughs> on a canvas but there's more to it than that yeah <laughs> and and so i think that that is that just stems from I don't know, either, yeah, just the the idea that everyone is loved, we're all here working towards the same thing, hopefully, and that, you know, just because we point out things that are contrary to how you live doesn't mean we don't like you as much or whatever, it's just because we all struggle with different things, Yeah, it's kind of what my point is. My favorite, my, my, one of, I'm, this reading through of this talk, listening through of it was... Um, I don't know how I never noticed it before, but he quotes one of my favorite talks of all time. <laughs> like, I don't know how I've missed this before, but I kind of want to end with this idea. Um, so he quotes Elder Neil A. Maxwell in one of his BYU addresses saying, um, don't be among those who would rather try to change the church than to try than to change themselves. And I like this idea because it's 
kind of true in society itself. You don't change society, you change yourself. Like, does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. to be happy, you don't force everyone else to align to you. You align yourself. And that's kind of like a cult. Some people would think of that as kind of a cultish thought to have. But that's true with, I mean, when we talked about the inner ring, that's true with literally every ring. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're not aligned to a ring, you're not going to be part of that ring. And so um, this, this talk is amazing because, um, this Elder Maxwell talk, because... Um, that that idea that that it's so important to understand, and this I mean, stems in the knowledge of understanding God. Like God is perfect, therefore we should be trusting in His decisions that He gives through the church. And it is better for us to recognize fault in ourselves before we recognize fault in that of the church, especially the church. Yeah, because. Like, back to my stupid metaphor with the broccoli, like, everyone in the church also has a stick of broccoli. (laughs) And so, you can't be walking up to someone painting a Mona Lisa with broccoli and go, what the heck? What are you doing with that stupid piece of broccoli? And then walk around, turn the corner, and start painting a freaking um, Paul Picasso, like, (laughs) Pablo Picasso painting with a stick of broccoli. Like, they're over there painting the Mona Lisa with broccoli, and you're condemning them for using broccoli while you're trying to paint a Picasso with broccoli. Yeah. Like it's, and so I, I think that just... Everyone's the, got a stick of broccoli, dude. The people criticize the church for, you guys aren't perfect. I was like, well, yeah, we are we also have broccoli. We're all standing here with broccoli. <laughs> we're stuck with broccoli. <laughs> we're just, it's Man, just like, pick up your stick of broccoli and help. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. I just, that was just one of the things that's been on my mind lately. Like that we need to be changing ourselves and not trying to change the church. Because like we obviously are in the church. There are other people who are in it and who are going to listen to this. There are other people who are out of it that may listen to this. And that the organization as a whole, you can't condemn the whole organization because everyone has broccoli. Yeah, You have to just look at it for, we are all, it's like we're all, the church is basically just a giant class where we're saying, hey, hospital. We all, yeah, this whole, just a hospital but in my metaphor, it's a class where we all have broccoli and we're saying, yeah, we all know that you guys have broccoli, but we can still talk, do great things. We, we can still do great things with broccoli, you know? <laughs> and yeah. so, and it's a, it's one giant, the church is one giant movement. that's all pulling us towards Christ and where he'll turn our broccoli into cauliflower or <laughs> <laughs> it's, Sorry. it's pulling us towards Christ. And even even imperfectly, it's pulling us towards Christ. Yeah. Because again, we all have broccoli, but it's just that as a collective, as a whole, we can all slowly move there and not just individually. Okay. And, and I know it's a stupid metaphor, will, but it totally I will works. give you 10 bucks if you take broccoli to church on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> and just be like, dude, where's your broccoli? <laughs> no, uh, no, I, I actually do like that metaphor because... <laughs> Because, like, broccoli is such an imperfect instrument, and that broccoli represents our abilities, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And so we're all imperfect, incapable children trying to paint a masterpiece. Yeah, so anyway, that was a long discussion. That's our longest episode yet. Let's find out if it's gotten colder. Hey, hey, hey! It's 58 degrees. That's three degrees lower. Oh, my man. We can feel that difference. (laughs) Not inside, though. 
It is um, colder in the room, actually. Yeah. I guess I do bit. have my windows cracked a little bit. Feels pretty good. Um, Man, I miss living in the basement. So, yeah. Why don't you introduce the homework since this, yeah. is your, this is your thing? I freaking loved this video. So, Smarter Every Day did a video on the five dimensions of warfare. And at first, I was a little turned off because it's about warfare and he interviews like a full style general. But at the same time, it's also kind of rad. <laughs> that he got an interview with he, with the four-star general. So this guy has actually been, like, uh, contracted by the military to do this video. Really? Um, like, it ha- I don't remember if it was, it was specifically contracted to do it, but this video has, like, the stamp of approval from the Department of Defense because That's this cool. guy is a consultant for the Department of Defense. And he did a video on the five dimensions of warfare and to give a tiny little hint of what it is basically he talks about how land sea and air are the three are three historic dimensions of warfare and then he talks about two more that have come up in recent times and why warfare now is so complicated you have to watch this it's in the show notes uh, yeah i'll put it in and we will talk about it next week um uh, but yeah. it's seriously some cool stuff yep see you guys next week ciao Okay. <laughs>